You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. You had a really nice weekend for Labor Day weekend. I should say Memorial Day weekend, and so you had some beautiful weather then. And so this week might seem like a little bit of a letdown uh, in comparison, I'm sure. Uh, if you notice that my wife is not with me today, Stephanie is actually at a teacher's conference. She works at Community Christian School up in Granville, and they are going down to a conference in Pennsylvania, and so she is actually presenting uh, in two seminars at the conference, and so she is not with us today, but send your prayers and your well wishes to her as she heads out there to uh, present, and so she'll be back with us later on this week, so if you know she's missing, that's the reason why, so... Just wanted to let you know that. Uh, we had some wonderful services last weekend with Evangelist Jesse Comrie, and if you weren't here, you definitely missed out uh, because there is a powerful time in the Lord. We definitely enjoyed the, their ministry and the ministry of his family. Uh, there are certainly testimonies of people who have been healed. Uh, there was probably about five or six people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and so we were just really thrilled with what God was doing in the midst of all that. Um, one of the most important things that I want you to remember is that, is that if God has moved you forward, do not move backwards. If God has moved you forwards, choose not to move backwards. If God has given you victory in your health, your situation, your emotional well-being, choose to walk in the victory God's given you and not walk in defeat. Don't let fear, doubt, or even familiar sin bring you back to a place of complacency or bondage once again. Listen, whenever there are times in your life when God moves, God does something great, uh, that's an opportunity for you to turn a corner, you come to a crossroads, and you determine which way you want to go. And when God's done something great in your life, you say, I want more of that instead of going back to what's familiar, what's comfortable, uh, even what is habit for us, too. And what you'll find there is if you go backwards into those things, you'll find yourself falling into a pattern of guilt and shame, and you'll go back into a complacent lifestyle. That's not what God wants to do in your life. When we have these moments, these services, these experiences, God wants us to continue to move forward in the direction that he's pointed us in, I want to encourage you to do that. The key with anything, as we talk about uh, getting victory this morning, is that when you win a victory, you have to keep that victory. If you study the history of wars and battles throughout uh, the history of the world, you'll recognize that anytime there's a victory and they win a battle and they take territory, guess what? The enemy doesn't just simply go, you know what, I guess we lost that. I guess we'll not come back for that ever again. You'll find that oftentimes the enemy uh, army will regroup, refortify their strength, and then they'll come back for that piece of property and that territory that has been taken. So the tendency that some people have a, a, a winning army will lose when they get comfortable in the victory they've received or the victory that they've won and then they let their guards and their defenses down, not realizing that as you go into contested territory, that's when the battles become more fierce, and they may become even more 
frequent. So if God's given you victory, recognize that the enemy doesn't like that that part of your life is now given over to God or that part of your family or your work situation is being given over to God. He's going to contest and fight for that. Don't let that surprise you. Can I challenge you with that? That on the heels of your greatest victory can sometimes come your greatest discouragement if you are not careful and if you are not walking in what God has given you. Listen, if you are in a place where God's given you victory, look forward to the next challenge, the next mountain, the next adventure, the next level God wants to take you to. He doesn't want you to go down the mountain. He wants you to go from mountaintop to mountaintop to the next thing he has for you. Sometimes Christians are not walking in victory, but rather they're walking in the state of defeat. And this can happen sometimes when people have grown weary in fighting. They grow tired of the battle. They stop fighting and they've embraced a victim mentality in life. Church, hear me today. Christ did not rise from the dead so that we could live a defeated life. Instead, Jesus overcame death so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Not less than, not second best, but that we would have life abundantly, life to its fullest with God in our life and with God walking with us. We are far better walking with God than trying to do it on our own. Far better walking with Him than forgetting all that He's done for us. The title of my message today is From Victim to Victor. And I want to challenge us to change the way that we view ourselves, our circumstances, and pursue a victorious Christian life. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. I want us to look at a familiar passage of Scripture, a, one of the miracles that Jesus performed. He healed a disabled man, a crippled man, at the pool of Bethesda. And starting in verse 1, it says, And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, which actually means house of mercy. You know that? Bethesda means house of mercy. It had five porches. Verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel at a certain time went into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man that was there had an infirmity 38 years And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? I want you to pause and think about that question. (laughs) It almost seems like an obvious one, doesn't it? Seems like an answer that you would have a response to immediately. But notice the response in verse 7. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath. 
It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? The one who was healed did not know that it was Jesus, for he had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. And afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. And for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus. Underline that. And for this reason, Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Let's pray as we ask God to help us to go from victim to victor today. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to respond to your truth. May it be bread and living water to our souls and draw us closer to your Son today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gospel of John chapter 5 tells the story of a crippled man who was healed by Jesus as he was laying near the healing spring of Bethesda. The pool was called Bethesda, which means house of mercy. And I think we see Jesus' mercy towards this man in healing him. This was a place outside the temple, and it was filled with people who were sick, invalid, and disabled in some way. And some had been there for a long time. This particular man was disabled and could not walk for 38 years. Imagine being disabled and in the same place, unable to move for 38 years. Jesus, who this time was just beginning his ministry and was known to heal people, approaches this disabled man. And he asks the man a simple question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? A question that seems insensitive when you think about it, really. Why did Jesus ask, do you want to be made well? Can't you see that he's disabled? Can't you see that he is in a place where he he is not able to function in a normal way? Why would Jesus asked this question. But Jesus asked it to reveal the man's heart and to stir up faith and a man who had no faith that he might be healed. Most of us, if we were in this state, if we were asked the question, do you want to be made well, would say, what? Yes. Immediately. We would exclaim, absolutely. But oddly enough, this man begins to make excuses for his condition. I want to tell you today that excuses rob us of, a, of the potential for a miracle. Excuses rob us of the potential for a miracle. There will be any number of excuses that we can use for God to not do something in our lives. There's any number of excuses that we can utilize for not praying, not reading the word, not going to church. And believe me, as a pastor, I've heard every excuse You can imagine for why a person may or may not want to come to church, a Bible study, may not want prayer, whatever the case might be. But when we make excuses, we rob the potential for God to do a miracle in our life. Excuses, we all have them. Sometimes we use them to justify our condition. Excuses like, I can't help it. I was born this way. It's not my fault. It was the way I was raised. I've tried to stop, Pastor, but it's just too hard. It's not me, it's my family history. 
Everybody's out to get me. I can't get a break anywhere. Maybe you've talked to people like that, have you? They talk about their problems and it's because everybody else is out to get them and because they don't have anybody that likes them. Or I didn't get fired, they just didn't appreciate my skills. Or if somebody would help me, things would be different. If someone would just help me, then I wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. The truth is, excuses don't change anything. They simply serve to justify our current situation. The man at the pool of Bethesda had a victim mentality. Now, what is a victim mentality? A victim mentality is acquired or a learned personality trait in which a person tends to regard him or herself as a victim of the negative actions of others and to think, speak, and act as though that were the case, even in the absence of clear evidence. So a person who has a victim mentality looks at themselves as saying, I'm in this situation because of everybody else. And when you ask them, like, well, what evidence can you give me that this is the case? They can't provide any, but it helps them to justify where they're at. Researchers say it's a learned trait typically picked up in your childhood. It may come as the result of a tragic event or a series of tragic events in your life. A victim mentality may manifest itself in a range of different behaviors or ways of thinking, such as blaming others for a situation that one has created or significantly contributed to. In other words, say you do something stupid. I know, it's a stretch, but bear with me. <laughs> but say you do something dumb, and you have to deal with the consequences of that. A person with a victim mentality might not recognize that they've done anything wrong and might blame others for that. Another sign is failing or being unwilling to take responsibility for one's own actions for which one has contributed to or for taking action to improve the situation. In other words, they don't want to do anything about it. They kind of are settled in where they are instead of actually doing something about it. They also ascribe non-existent negative intentions to other people, such as paranoia, or believing that other people are generally or fundamentally lucky, happier, or in some Christian circles, more blessed than they are. And they develop a why me attitude. God, why them and not me? Why does that person have the nicer car? Why do they have the nicer home? Why does it seem like they don't have any problems and I have problems not taking into consideration what that person did to get to where they are? Sometimes people with a victim mentality gain short-term pleasure from feeling sorry for oneself and eliciting the pity of others. Sometimes, and be mindful of this church, okay? I'll say this to you. If someone is looking for your pity and sympathy and they're complaining about other people to you, and you, say, you should immediately suggest that they bring it to the cross and ask God to help them with that. Or if they have a problem with somebody else, you should be immediately suggesting that, you, that they go to that person and talk it out. If a person has an offense against somebody else and you are just listening to it and enabling it, you are contributing to the problem, not helping it. And you're not helping them to resolve the situation either. So if someone's complaining, if someone's lamenting, if someone feels like they've been wronged, and sometimes, I'll even tell you this, sometimes they haven't. 
But because they have a mentality, it's a victim mentality. They will think that everyone's out to get them. Everyone's out to slight them. Everyone's trying to offend them in some way. So it's up to us to kind of say, you know what? It sounds like they really hurt your feelings. It sounds like that they did something that really bothers you. Have you talked to that person? I will guarantee you they have not. Absolutely, 100%, for the most part, they haven't spoken to that person. But they like talking to you because you make them feel better, because you're a listening ear. And in some ways, we enable people with that kind of mentality. We need to be mindful of that. Sometimes the person who views themselves as a victim likes the attention that it brings them. Their unhappiness brings empathy and attention from others that they would not have received otherwise. A person with this sort of mentality finds it difficult to leave this mentality because that means they wouldn't get as much attention as they normally would. I preached this message before a few years ago, and I just want to share with you some signs of a victim mentality. Uh, the difference between being a victim and being a victor. I know that today, I would dare say that all of us in this room wants victory in our life. I don't think any of us would say, you know what, Jesus, if Jesus came to us and said, hey, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want that situation to be resolved? I would hope, I would hope that most of us would say, yes, Lord, today, in this moment, right here, right now, would you bring about the breakthrough that I need? But there are times where God is present to do something in our lives. Where he's present in our situation or present in the service or present when someone's trying to help us out. And instead of going for what God has for us, we bring up an excuse, a flag, a flare that says, no, no, it can't be because this. The man at the pool of Bethesda is being asked by the one who does healing naturally and regularly, do you want to be made well? And he begins to justify himself why he's in that condition, bringing up excuses, saying it's this way, it's other people's faults, and that's why I'm here. And instead of saying, well, yes, can you heal me? I would like that very much. Our attitude should be like when good news comes to us, when God's word is revealed to us, Instead of feeling bad about our situation, recognizing that God has for us the answer that we need. God wants us to be victorious, walking with him. What are the signs of the difference between a victim and a victor? Number one, a victim fails to realize that the answer is right in front of them. Jesus is literally right in front of him, asking him, do you want to be made well? But, the, but this man doesn't even see it. Sadly, this man doesn't even know who Jesus is. If he only knew who was standing before him, he would be excited that this man could possibly heal him. Now, we have to understand that we receive God's healing through his grace and his goodness and his kindness to us. Sometimes people who, who have a victim mentality fail to realize that the answers are very simple and that the answer is found in Jesus and that he is leading us in the direction that we need to go in. Secondly, a victim makes excuses. The man at the pool said he would be well if he had some friends to help him out. It's not his fault that he's not well. Uh, not that Jesus is even asking him about these details. 
But it's interesting that the crippled man feels as though he needs to make excuses for his condition instead of responding with a yes. You know, it is possible to be so sick and so tired for so long that that's all you talk about. We have to be careful to not let our infirmity become our identity. We all deal with different things on a regular basis. Maybe you deal with depression or anxiety. Maybe you deal with a chronic condition. Maybe you have high blood pressure. Maybe you, you have kidney stones. Maybe you have different things going on in your life. But just because you have those things doesn't mean you are those things. Are you, are you listening to me today, church? Sometimes, you know, people talk about those things as though that that's them. And it's the only thing that's going on in their life. And I understand that as we get older, sometimes the only excitement you might have in your life is to go to the doctor and to talk about your conditions, okay? So, like, you might not have anything more interesting going on, but I'm guaranteeing that most people don't want to hear about your gout. They don't want to hear about your bad back. They don't want to hear about that growth on your forearm that you don't know what it is. Most people don't care about that sort of thing. But it's interesting to overhear conversations in, in the hallways of churches where we're just talking about how bad things are, how bad our condition is, or how bad things are in our life. I'm not talking about a conversation where it leads to prayer and it leads to help. I'm talking about just complaining about life or just carrying on about your difficulties and lamenting things. There is a difference. And we have to be careful not to make excuses and talk about those things over and over again. Once you have accepted a victim mentality, you have already conceded defeat. Number three, a victim blames others. I would be well, but someone else always gets in front of me before I can get in. I would be well, but I went up for prayer the other day, and someone stepped in front of me, and they stepped in front of me, and they got prayed for, and I didn't get prayed for. Or I was on the side of the altar, and no one noticed that I was there, and like I just went back to my seat because I was just so discouraged that no one paid attention to me. Listen, things happen pretty crazy here at the altar sometimes. There's a lot of activity that happens. You know, if you want prayer, press in for your prayer. Don't just simply walk away and go, oh, I guess I, guess I didn't notice me today. Or sometimes people get upset. It's like, well, pastor didn't notice me. Or the evangelist didn't notice me. And because of that, it's like, well, I felt like, you know, slighted from that. Imagine going back to the altar feeling slighted. It's like, no, we, that's not how we should approach it. We should go and press in for what God has for us. Sometimes we blame others. I would be better if they were for this. We blame our friends. We blame our family members. We blame our neighbors. We blame our pastor because they didn't do enough, say enough, or try hard enough to help us. That's why I'm in the condition I'm in. Have you ever tried to help somebody like that? You do as much as you can for them. Maybe you've gone above and beyond the call of duty for that person. And you talk to them, and they still think you didn't do enough to help them. Meanwhile, and on the inside, you're trying to not let your flesh rise up. You know, when you know that you've spent hours with them talking, whether it be on the phone or in person, you've been to, you've been to their house in the times of emergency at 2 in the morning when they said they needed you. You've given them money when they've needed money. And still, it's someone else's fault. Or it's your fault that you didn't do more 
than what's being done right now. The question wasn't posed to everyone else around the man at the pool. It was posed to the man at the pool. Do you want to be well? It's easy to blame others for our condition, but in the end, when we stand before God, the only person that can take responsibility for us is us. Number four, a victim lists off the reason why things can't change. The man had been there 38 years disabled. I'm sure by this time he had become jaded to the idea of ever being healed. And he gives reasons why he's in the state that he's in, thinking he will always be this way. Sometimes, if we're not careful, because we've been through bad situations uh, so often, or we've been in a situation so long, we may have given up the idea that God could ever do anything in my situation, that God could ever break through for me, or that he would ever answer a prayer that I have. We have to be careful about that sort of mentality. Don't settle into a comfortable place that says, you know, I'm okay with this. We should never be okay with it. We should always say, you know, I, every time there's an opportunity for prayer, I want prayer. Every time there's an opportunity to be encouraged, I want to be encouraged. Every time there's an opportunity for, to meet with God, I want to meet with God. And knowing that you've dealt with this thing for a long time, knowing it's there, but always holding out hope. Always having faith, no matter what the situation. This man felt as though nothing could change. But I want to pause here for a moment I want you to think about this. Jesus' compassion superseded this man's lack of faith and lack of belief. One of the wonderful things about Jesus is that his compassion for us is greater than any condition we have. His compassion for you is greater than any condition you have. You might have settled into it and goes, you know, I don't think God can do it. I don't think God can do anything. And look at the compassion of Jesus towards this man. He's like, listen. I know you, you've got reasons why you think this can't happen. I know you don't necessarily even believe that I can, but I, out of my mercy for you. Remember, Bethesda means house of mercy. At this place of mercy, I'm going to touch you and heal you right now. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the times where there are times where my faith has been low. I'm thankful for the times that God has superseded my own uh, lack of enthusiasm. Or the times where I didn't think anything was going to happen and God likes to surprise me. Have you ever been surprised by God? Like, God's, you didn't think much was going to happen and then you showed up that day and God did something great. Or you weren't really sure. And maybe even your prayer was like a weak mustard seed type prayer. Like, Lord, please provide this need. And he actually does. And that's, just, that's the mercy and grace of God at work. It's like, I just have so much compassion for you that I'm going to do this for you. Jesus still has the power to save, still has the power to deliver, and still has the power to heal. And he shows us his love and his power, and he shows it to this man by healing him. Another thing that victims do, number five, a victim turns on the ones that helps them. Jesus heals this man, and as this man's walking home, someone stops him and goes, hey, it's the Sabbath. What are you carrying your mat for? Can I just tell you that there are people, people who hate miracles will always get stuck on the minutiae of things. They'll say, you know, so, so this man used to be crippled. Jesus tells him to pick up his mat and walk. And as he's walking home carrying his mat, probably the only possession he has, and goes, the Sabbath, put that down. You shouldn't be carrying that. It's like, I was healed, though. Well, who told you to do that? 
I don't really know who told me to do that. I said, well, find out. Let us know. Right? And so Jesus heals him. He didn't even know, this man didn't even know that Jesus healed him, but then he went and found out that it was Jesus that healed him and reported back to the Pharisees. In verse 16 it says, For this reason the Pharisees persecuted Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. It's surprising because there are times where you'll help someone and be there for someone and they'll turn on you. In some cases because they don't know what to do with genuine friendship so they throw it away. Listen, broken people tend to think of things in a broken way. Hurt people tend to hurt other people. So there are times when if you're being genuine and being loving and being kind to people, those people will test the boundaries of it by being difficult. Sometimes they'll even do things intentionally to harm you because they don't believe that what you're doing is genuine or real. And they always wreck it. There's this thing called self-sabotage, too, where a person uh, is on the right path, but then they start doing really well, and then they sabotage themselves because they've never been this far before. Sometimes happens an addiction. A person overcomes an addiction to drugs. They start doing well. They get an ego and a pride about it, and they start you know, judging other people. And as a result, they fall and stumble. And when they fall and stumble, it's even worse than before. We have to be careful that we don't hurt those that try and help us. Victims don't know what it means to see things in a healthy way, so they always go back to handling things the way they know, the wrong way. Number six, a victim goes back to the things that got them in trouble in the first place. The man had a surprising lack of gratitude for his healing. Do you notice this? Like, Jesus heals this man, been sick for 38 years, been disabled, have not been able to do anything, and we don't see even a word of thanks from this man. Not one. You would think that after he'd be healed, he'd be excited and at least find out the name of the person who healed him. It's an interesting scene. Jesus finds this man in the temple later, and he says a peculiar thing to him. He says an interesting phrase. Not something that you would normally say to someone who has just been healed. He said, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. What was the sin this man was doing? What was he doing that, that Jesus was concerned about with him? And as we look at it, we see that this man is now kind of dropping a dime on Jesus to the religious authorities at that time. Instead of being incredibly grateful and, and, and say to myself, I want to be a follower of Jesus, he goes, let me go tell the Pharisees what Jesus did. Right. By the way, I got that name of that guy who healed me. <laughs> right? How whacked out is this, right? I got the name of the man who healed me, and uh, I want you to let them know he's over there. And the Pharisees are like, yeah, he broke the Sabbath. And they... They persecuted and tried to find ways to put him to death for breaking the Sabbath. I don't know about you, that's kind of a weird way of looking at things. Now, why did he say, we don't know? Was it because he was going to tell the Pharisees about him or Jesus knew? Is it because the man had no faith? Or because he uh, didn't believe to receive the healing? Or he didn't acknowledge Jesus as Savior? Was Jesus telling him to, to believe and stop sinning? Because he, uh, he's far worse, you know, his condition, his eternal condition would be far worse than just being crippled if, 
he goes to hell because of this? We don't know, but the fact that Jesus said this is an indication that if this man did not change, something may, worse may befall him. And oftentimes when a person is delivered from something awful, they use their newfound freedom to go back to that behavior. And so we have to be careful of that. Sometimes our second condition can be worse than our first. I remember hearing a story some years ago when I was in Bible college of a man who, was, who had HIV. And this is in you know, mid-90s before they had the drugs that can treat HIV like they do today. And in a service, that man was healed of HIV, healed of AIDS. And it said that, that the friend was telling me that this man, once he was healed, he went right back into the lifestyle that got him HIV in the first place and he ended up recontracting and dying from it. We have to be careful to recognize that God, when he heals us, when he delivers us, when he saves us, we are to walk in where we are, not where we were. We're not to go back to the thing that got us where we were in the first place. We are to be set free from that. There are times in people's lives where they don't understand that God set them free for something and they want to test it, and in their testing that temptation, they fall back into it. You can't do that. If he set you free, walk in the freedom that he's given you. Sometimes we take grace and God's freedom for granted. But this man's situation wasn't completely helpless because Jesus came just for him. Out of all the sick, lame, and blind people in that portico, Jesus sought this man out. Jesus' purpose in visiting this man was to extend grace to him. Grace in the form of kindness to a man who did not know Jesus. And though this man didn't deserve grace, Jesus offered it to him. Jesus offered him grace and the power to be healed, to do which couldn't he, to do for him what he couldn't do for himself. Nor anyone else could do for him. No one else could save him from his inability. No one else could heal his body. No one else could save his soul. But Jesus reached out to him in this condition to deliver him from a life of disability and to show the love and power of God to someone who was completely ignorant of God's grace. To heal his body and to lead him to salvation of his soul. But the question Jesus asks is a pertinent one. Do you want to be made well? To want to be made whole means you leave the victim mentality behind. To want Jesus to make you well means that you're tired of being in the place that you're in and you want to be set free. To say yes to Jesus means to say no to the things that are comfortable, familiar, or to a certain degree, work to your advantage. What would you talk about if you didn't have this thing to complain about anymore? Think about that. What would you talk about? What if Jesus healed us? Sometimes what we, the unknown is scarier than what we know. Sometimes that place is difficult for people to leave because this is where I am. And so there are people that are sometimes refuse to leave where they are because, well, I don't know how to function otherwise. Walking in victory requires not only a change of heart, but a change of mind. I want you to notice something about the miracles that Jesus performed. In each of those cases, in many cases, Jesus asked the one seeking healing to do something. We see this case in the, the case of the paralytic. He says, take up your mat and walk. Notice he didn't say, Jesus, I've never done that. Or I am disabled and I can't do that. Instead, He just does what Jesus says. And in his doing what Jesus said, the healing took place. 
the man with the withered hand in the Gospels. Jesus encounters this withered, man with a withered hand in uh, Luke, in Matthew chapter 12, and he says to the man, stretch forth your hand. And the man in faith stretches forth his hand, and this, this uh, wrinkled up, this disabled hand becomes well as he obeyed the words of Jesus to do what was said. There were ten lepers cleansed. They all came to Jesus. Hey, we want to be healed. And Jesus said to the, Jesus didn't say, oh, you're healed, now go. He said, go and show yourself to the priests, which is what you did if you wanted to be uh, deemed clean and to enter back into society. But he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. It was their obedience to Jesus' words that brought about the healing. When a blind man came to Jesus and he couldn't see, Jesus uh, made mud with his spit, right? Okay. By the way, I'm not encouraging you to develop a healing school based around this method, okay? I'm not, if, if you do that, that's gross. Don't do that, okay? But Jesus, in his creative powers, he, he makes mud out of his spit and puts it on the man's eyes, and then he says, go and wash in the pool. Now, I don't know about you. It's like, okay, one thing, I'm blind. Now I've got mud on my face, and now I'm told to go wander somewhere and wash. But you know what the man did? The man did what Jesus said, as ridiculous as it might have seemed to him. And as a result, he was made able to see. When uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead, he had been dead in the tomb for four days. His body had already decomposed and smelled. Jesus could have gone up to the tomb, waved his hand, moved the rock out of the way, had a dramatic show of all of it. But what does he say? He says to his family, remove the stone." In other words, here's a faith in action thing. But if the, his brothers and family said, no, we're not going to do that, that's gross. How could we open up a tomb? And besides, if we open up the tomb, we're going to be unclean. We can't do that, Jesus. Lazarus would have still been in that tomb. It takes people to go, okay, Jesus, I know what you're saying. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to do it. And as a result of me doing it, we see the miracle take place. We see him doing this over and over again. The key to victory is this. A victim focuses on his problems, but a victor focuses on the promises of God. A victim will fo always focus on their problems, but a victor will focus on the promises of God. We have to remember God's word to us. When Jesus tells us to do something and we act on it, we combine our faith with his power to make things happen. Healing comes in response to the word. A victim only focuses on their problems instead of trusting the promises of God. Some of the things Jesus might ask us to do may seem foolish or even simple. But it's the very simple acts every day that can bring about our healing. Learning to forgive. Learning to get out of bed when we're depressed. Helping someone out. These small acts of faith can be, do a healing work in our life. The healing of the crippled man came through obedience to a simple command, take up your mat and walk. That's it. Nothing profound. Just a command to gather up his things and go home. And you know what? That's what he did, and the Lord brought about healing. I want to share with you four quick things in becoming a victor in Christ. Number one, stop looking at others and start looking towards Jesus. Stop looking at what, how God's blessed other people and resenting it. Stop looking at others and blaming others for what they've done. Start looking at Jesus as your answer, as your source, 
as the one that can help you. Secondly, stop making excuses and start raising your expectation. Stop making excuses for the way things are. We start making excuses for ourselves, and we start making excuses for God, and we make excuses for others, but we need to take responsibility for ourselves and believe. Even if you haven't gotten your healing, even if you haven't experienced a breakthrough yet, it doesn't mean we stop believing in those things. Listen, if I stopped praying for people just because one or two people didn't get healed, I would never pray for anyone to be healed again. And as a result of that, I may never see anyone healed again. It doesn't mean that God doesn't work. This means sometimes we're disappointed. But we need to stop making excuses and start raising our expectation. Thirdly, do what God's word says to do. A simple act of obedience can bring about an incredible miracle. Be brave. Do what seems hard. Do what seems difficult and choose to do those things. If God told you to do it, then do it. Fourthly, move forward. Don't move backwards. Break up the old habits and patterns of the past. Don't go back to what you used to do. Don't go back to the things that you used to do before you that got you into the situation in the first place. Most of us understand that. If you've been through a a 12-step recovery program or any kind of rehab, you know you need to have someone that you're accountable to. You need to talk to that person, and you need to not go back to where you were before, even though the temptation and the draw is strong. So choose to move forward, not backwards. You might say to yourself, I can't do this. The battle is too hard. I've done this before. I tried this before, and it didn't work. But I want you to to know something today, church. And this is so important. Jesus is the victor. He's already overcome every battle and beaten every foe. And as you walk with him, he's the one that brings the victory. It's kind of like he's the general in the army and you're in the army it's the general that has the strategy for to winning the battle and winning the victory you are just following his instructions so you in your own strength can't beat that thing but christ who has won the victory over sin death the grave over every condition that this world has ever known He who has brought victory in that situation can bring victory to you. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But you start exercising the he that is within you by going against what you think and what you feel that day. I'm depressed. I don't want to get up today. Can I challenge you with something as someone who's dealt with depression? Get up and do something. Go garden. Go for a walk. And that might sound like super unspiritual, but I want you to know something too. Doctors, oddly enough, have, have said, you know, physical activity is the best thing you can do to get you out of that mindset. You know, it's not the best thing in your mindset to stay in bed or to, to close the windows or to, to shut out all our friends. That doesn't help us. That only pushes us further down the hole. So what I'm saying is not crazy. What I'm challenging you to do is to do something that's hard. It takes no faith to stay where you are. But it takes faith to go, I'm getting up. I'm getting dressed. You'd be surprised what a shower does for you when you're depressed. 
I'm being serious. Like, get up and do something. You're like, now that, I have a, now that you've had your shower, have a cup of coffee, do something. You know, God will start to move in you. Your faith is exhibited in the simple acts of obedience. Remember, the scriptures say, in him we move, live and move and have our being in him. Listen, I don't mean to minimize the struggle you're going through. We've all been through different things. But if you're waiting for yourself to get the victory, if you're waiting for someone else to bring the victory, you're already fighting a losing battle. But if you walk in the victory that Christ has given you, what a difference that makes. You're walking in his strength. You're walking in his word. You're walking in his authority. You're walking in his spirit. And if you do that, you'll be better for it. It's my heart's desire, church. Can I tell you as your pastor, my heart breaks for you when you make progress and then go backwards. I am so proud of you when you make progress, when your prayers are powerful, when your faith is increased, when God's giving you revelation insight in his word, when you, you would uh, pray with me about anything and believe for the impossible, when you've ministered to people yourself and when you've challenged others and you've moved people forward and when I see you cowering backwards as though none of those things ever happened. It breaks my heart because you took one step forward and three steps backwards. God wants you to move forward. We should be going from strength to strength, as the scriptures tell us, because we're not walking in our strength. It's kind of like when we get to this place, it's like Peter on the, the water when he's walking on the water and then he gets his eyes off of Jesus and he sees everything else and he goes, I can't do this. Yes, you can't do this. You're not meant to walk on water. But Jesus called you and he called you to walk with him. When you walk with him, there's your strength. There's your power. There's your ability. And we just become aware of what we've dealt with. They become part of our history. But they're not part of our identity anymore. Oh, that the Lord would do that in you. Oh, that the Lord would do that in you that's no longer part of your identity. But it's part of your history. Like, yes, I used to do this. Yes, I used to be an addict. Yes, I used to deal with depression. Yes, I used to be afraid of commitment in relationships. Yes, I used to be a bad friend. Yes, I, I was untrustworthy. Yes, I was someone that you couldn't count on. Yes, I tended to lie. But that was who I was, not who I am today to the glory of God. May the Lord work in us so that it becomes part of our history, not our identity any longer in Him. Church, will you pray with me towards that end? I believe it for you. Can you believe it for yourself, though? That these momentary stumbles are just that. They're not meant to to knock you down. When you get knocked down, you get back up and you try again. When you hear no for the fifth time from your family, go for a sixth time or seventh time and ask them, do you want to be saved? When, you, when you, you go for your, and you pray for your healing and you don't get it, keep praying and trusting God. 
When you apply for a job and you say, okay, God, I need a job. I'm trusting you for my job. And you keep applying and you keep getting turned down. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't work. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust God for that area of your life. It just means you keep going. You keep asking. There are times you're going to stumble and fall. And can I dare say to you today that usually on the heels of one of your greatest blessings and victory is when the devil kicks the stool out from under you. He tries to say, you know, that's my territory, not yours. But I challenge you today, remember, fight for your faith. It took a long time for you to get victory and to claim that territory. Don't let it be taken back. When you receive the peace, you've got to defend the peace. When you've won victory and you've captured territory, you need to defend that territory. Defend that area of your life that God gave you victory and says, no, 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 I'm not going back there because he gave me victory. And I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to fight for it in prayer. I'm going to fight for it by asking other people to pray with me. And I'm going to stand in confidence and not in weakness. Will you pray with me today? Will you believe that today? And if, if God's speaking to your heart this morning about this area of your life, that you want to see God do victory in you, will you just slip a, a hand as we pray? God, we just thank you. God, thank you that your word is power. Thank you that your spirit's at work within us. And I pray today for all of us, Lord God, Sometimes the future is scary. Sometimes to step out into the areas of our life that we've never known a day without pain. We've never known a day without discouragement or depression. We've never known a day without anxiety. And so sometimes for some of us it can be scary to step into that unknown. But Lord, in that unknown is where you are. In that unknown is where you're going to lead. And we're not led by those things anymore. We're led by you by your spirit. So I pray today, Lord, help us to change our mindset, to change the way that we think about things, and that we would allow you to move us forward from victim to victory, that when you ask us, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made well? We wouldn't come up with every excuse imaginable about why it won't happen or why it couldn't happen. Instead, we'll respond and say, saying, yes, yes, Lord me today let it be so and i pray for each person here in this place lord today let it be so i just ask this all in the name of your precious son jesus christ we pray amen amen thank you for listening we invite you to join us sunday mornings to worship with us we are located at 267 college highway in southwick massachusetts for more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.